God's Word. We're going to continue our study uh, in the book of Romans. Uh, today we're going to be in Romans uh, chapter 8. We're continue in chapter 8. And we're just going to be looking at today at verse 26. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Romans is found in what testament? New Testament. Romans was written by who? around us. 
So we see the similarity between creation and humans. Creation was designed and made for us as humans to be able to use it for our dominion over the world. You remember Genesis 1 and Genesis 2? God has put Adam over all creation. It said, and it said in Genesis 1, have dominion upon the world. Dominion means having a kingdom for Adam and Eve to have this kingdom on the world. For them to be able to, to reign over everything, the flowers, the lions, the bears, before anything sin came into the world, Adam and Eve was to reign of all creation, and creation was to be used to be able to bring about their reign. But now when sin came into the world, we saw what happened. God punished Adam and Eve. By punishing Adam and Eve, he put creation on a subjection. He put creation in a way that creation won't listen to us. What does it mean having a kingdom and nobody respect you? How can you be a king and you don't have any people that listen to the king? If everybody rebels against the king, how can the king rule? He can still rule, but it's going to be hard for him. In the same way we see with Adam and Eve, they still have the, the mandate to have dominion, but now dominion is going to be hard because God has put Creation subjected to vanity. And now subjection of the creation is not going to want to listen to Adam and Eve now. So life will be hard. That wasn't just for Adam and Eve. That's for all of us. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And God has called mankind to have dominion for us to go out and make God's name known upon the world as we have dominion in the world. But now we see Y'all had a long work week this past week, trying to ask people to help you at work, trying to get people to get things done at work. Not even just at work, even with the kids at home. It was hard trying to get the kids to listen, trying to get coworkers to, to, to listen to as you try to encourage them. Even trying to grow things in your garden this time of year. We can look at all areas of what I just said here that it has been hard for us to have dominion and be able to lead in a way that God called us to lead because God has put creation under subjection. So creation gives us a hard time. It was part of God's judgment to mankind. But not only creation, this is for believers. These are hard for us in this world. It always has been some resistance as being believers. The suffering in this world is all around us. Even when we profess Christ and believe in Jesus, we still face hard times. But as believers, as time gets hard, we know where we can turn. And that's what Paul is getting at. Even though we're in a fallen, fallen world, God doesn't leave us without encouragement. Amen. So Paul writes this to the Romans. Because Paul talks about this in Romans 7 that the more he wants to do right, right, his flesh wants to do wrong. The battle or the back and forth. You want to be honest with this? And the flesh is like, hey, you can get away with this. It's a battle back and forth. Paul explained the difficult battle of the Christian life. And Paul, he presents this vulnerable 
image of himself. He, he shares his heart. He shares his struggles. Then he goes on. He doesn't leave us with struggles. You know somebody tell you all these bad things going on in their life? And they're going to share all the good things that's going on in their lives? So Paul, he doesn't just share all the struggles. Now he shares with us how do we get through it. How do we persevere when we're knowing that creation is subjected to vanity? Creation is hard for us. Nobody want to listen to us. Our flesh don't want to listen to our own heart, right? To the new heart that is in us. So Paul talks about the difficult life of the Christian. But now he comes in and says, hey, even though it's hard, we have so many things that can help us when things get hard. So Paul encourages us in Romans 8. Brother Jackson, he encouraged us that remember your assurance in Christ. Remember, remember your assurance. I ain't talking about insurance with Geico. Assurance, right? Our church van didn't have insurance on it, and I was driving it one day. I said, Greg, the church van don't have insurance. But Greg said, we're assured in Christ. But uh, we got some assurance right after that after that time. So, uh, But I'm talking about assurance. Assurance in Christ that this is guaranteed what we have in Christ. We have assurance in Christ, but not only that, Brother Jackson, we also have, we are told, are eternally justified before the judge. As we walk before the judge, all of these things we have, the judge have on us, this is what you have done, this is what you have done, this is what you have done. But the judge came with the little gavel thing, he hid it and said, not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. Now, as believers, there will never be a time again that will be guilty spiritually. Now, I can't say anything about y'all driving fast on the highway with the earthly judge, right? But the spiritual judge, right, the judge upon the world, our creator, our God, that who has saved us, we're not guilty. We're not guilty. Christ became guilty for us. He takes the punishment. He takes the guilt. He takes the justice. He does all these things so we can be not guilty. Forever, Kel, forever, ever, ever. We will never be guilty again. We are forever innocent before God because of what Christ has done. Who can bring any charge against us? No one. But not only that, Sister Kathy, not only that, we will never be condemned. We will never be condemned, no matter what somebody say to you. You do that, God gonna condemn you. You do this, God gonna condemn you. You look to them and say, "This is what Christ has done. He already been condemned for us." But believers, that Christ has took upon our condemnation. It's the greatest news ever as a believer. Amen. You are eternally secured by God's grace and redemptive work of Christ. And also, Paul, he doesn't just give it. He's giving us all these nuggets that you're, you're not condemned, you're, you're justified. He tells us all the things, but in verse 25 last week, he gives us something else to hold on to. He said, you have hope. That you can look to hope when things get hard. Hope points us back to the biblical worldview. In the presence of struggles, struggles don't compare what to come. Struggles don't compare to what to come. Y'all know about that. Income tax season coming this month. 
Right now, things are hard, but some of y'all are banking on this, right? Y'all quiet now. But some of us have things we're looking forward to, right? Paul grabs upon this is that as believers, we get to look forward to glorification. No more sin, no more suffering. We'll be with God forevermore. We hope for that. So how not to sin? Be hopeful. How not to give in to sin? How not to give in to anger, pornography, lust, all those things? Be hopeful. That's what Paul encourages with. And Paul said, hey, I give you all these things to encourage you. When things get hard, look at all these things you can grab. Be hopeful. Don't be condemned. All of these things. This reminds me of my mother-in-law. So I love going to Memphis to see Alina mom. When we get to the house, we, we get our clothes, get our luggage out the car. Our mom said, hey, put everything down. Food is ready. I said, okay, let me, let me put this over step food ready. Then we, we eat we eat for just a moment. And I get ready to, okay, let me put my stuff in the room now. The mom said, hey, I got more food on the stove. She said, come on, food ready. So I have to put my stuff down. I have to go eat again. Then I finally get the stuff in the room. Got to settle down. Say, hey, I just bought some donuts for you all. And she just continued for hours and hours just food and food. I'm like, where's she getting all this food from? And she gives us abundance of food. And so when we come back from Memphis, we always have so much food for the rest of the week. Because she gives us so much and so much and so much, it doesn't stop. I think that what Mama Paul done, they were doing right here in our text. Paul is giving us so many things as Christians, and he won't stop. He keeps giving us so many reasons to trust the Lord. So many reasons not to give in to sin. So many reasons not to trust the flesh. He said you will not be condemned. You will be eternally justified. You will not, uh, you, you, uh, you can hope, right? You have the spirit that is leading you. He's giving us all these things like Mama Lisa. He's giving us all these sins and said, hey, I would not leave you as orphans. And what y'all young folks say, you're good. We're good because this is what we have. But y'all kind of quiet this morning. So Paul gives us another one. So that wasn't enough for y'all, right? Paul gives us another benefit in the Christian life this morning. Y'all want another one this morning for Paul? He gives another one this morning. We're going to learn now about another thing Paul encourages us what we have for us to trust the Lord when things get if I can tie this sermon today, I know y'all been waiting on one point for a long time in a sermon. I only got one point today, y'all. One point. Short sermon. One point. How does the Spirit help us in our weakness? One point. But I do got three sub points. The Spirit knows what to pray for in 26 B and C. The Spirit intercedes for us, and the Spirit intercession is far beyond words. So jump to point number one. How does the Spirit helps us in our weakness? Look at back at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we are. Paul starts this section off with the word likewise. Everybody put a finger on likewise. He started off with the word likewise. Likewise can be translated as similar. Or in the same way. So Paul just shared with us about B 
being encouraged by the hope of the glory to come. But now he encourages again. But this time he encourages it a different way. So just like in the same way he encourages with hope, he's going to give us something else to be encouraged by. This time now, Paul in verse, Paul in these verses finish share with us how the Spirit is going to be the one that helps us. We learn about the Spirit right there in Romans 8, verse 15. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as son, by whom we cry, Our Father. The Spirit Himself bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit that bears witness to our spirit is the Holy Spirit. Our brother Tyler has preached last week and shared with us about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is this third person of the Trinity. He shared with us. He's a real active person in the Godhead. He's just not like, okay, there's a spirit, just this force from God. No. He truly is God. And now we're going to learn about how this spirit is very witnessing with our spirit daily. And our spirit lets us know who we are. The spirit lets us know that we are children of God. So when Paul sees the Roman church weak or struggling, he reminds them that the spirit helps them. But not only Paul, but every time we see the word spirit throughout the Bible, let me give y'all some nuggets to chew on this morning. A lot of times when the spirit is introduced throughout the scriptures, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, a lot of time, it's always, not to say always, but most of the time, it's in a place when the people are very weak. People that are in slavery. When the people are experiencing some type of situation, the spirit is actually introduced. First prime example here in Romans 8. Think about the setting of Romans 8 right now. Paul shared his weakness and his struggles, right? At the end of verse 1, Romans 7. Now, Paul, in the midst of his weakness, Paul mentioned now in Romans 8 of all these great things that is done by the Spirit. We talked about, again, um, in verse 1, how we not be condemned. In verse 3, God sent his son, Jesus, to be condemned for us. Verse 4, we fulfill the rights of the crime of the law by making... Uh, by walking in the spirit. Verse 5. We get to set our mind on the things of the spirit. We get life and peace. Verse 6. Verse 8. Those in the spirit please God. Verse 9. The spirit dwells in us. The spirit gives us life. We learn that too also. I can keep going on and on. As when Paul shares his struggle in Romans 7. He responds and shares with us what gets him through. It's the spirit. It's the spirit. He is pumping us up to remind us that the Spirit is with us. The Spirit is strengthening us. The Spirit is the one that helps us when we need to be helped. And what else reminded us? That Christ wouldn't dare cast us out to condemn us. Christ sees an investment for us in Christ's glory. Jesus died on the cross for you, being punished by the Father, proved that Christ has invested in you, right? The, the, the God of creation, Jesus is good in heaven, but Jesus came and died on the cross so you can be made right for you to honor God. 
Jesus done all that for a reason. He invested in you for you to look like him. For example, I called a relative this week. I called a relative that has a couple of rent houses. He got a couple of rent houses. I called him up. I had some, a couple of questions for him. Why did you get into rent houses? Why did you get into investments? And he asked me, he shared with me, he said, well, I get into rent house investment because one of the things I want to do, I want to do cash flow. I want equity. I want to buy more things. I want to be sustainable. He started mentioning all these things. Then the second thing, he answer he said, he said, I want to make sure to, to keep this investment, I got to make sure the house is sustainable. I can't let somebody move in here and the house is not just right. Another thing he mentioned that he wants the right tenants in there. People are just gonna pay their rent. People are gonna take care of the place. Uh, another thing he mentioned is that he wants to have a, a, a really strong lease agreement. A strong lease agreement. And so by having all these things in place, is that that's gonna make his investment possible for him to, to fulfill the goal he set out to fulfill. So you have all these things. He doesn't let the properties break down. Because if you let the properties break down, doesn't maintenance and care for the property, he won't fulfill the investment. He won't be able to have an investment to fulfill his goal. So he gotta make sure that all of these things happen for him to get the cash flow. I think in a very similar way, if God is investing in us, and the ultimate goal in us, what God is investing in, is for us in glorification, for us to glorify and honor the Lord, and all of these other things got to take place. All the other things got to take place. If God wants to see us glorified, for us to honor him, all these things got to take place. He got to keep us so we won't be condemned. He has to give us a new mind that's focused on him. He has to dwell in us. He has to give us life. All of these things have to happen for us to fulfill what God has created us for. So God gives us all these things to guarantee us that we will be glorified through Christ. Well, today's text is another benefit of the Christian. But also more proof of God is preparing us for glorification. It's bigger than what your struggles are, y'all. Your struggles are bringing out things in your heart that never will be brought out. Hard times bring out things in us that will never be brought out if we didn't go through them. Many of us want to raise our hand and read, read about it and, and, and books we want to read about how we can be helped and things of that nature. We want to skip the process of trials. And say, Lord, I read about this, so I don't need any trials. Trials bring out so many things that we don't understand about ourselves. So the Lord allowed trials to happen. And the Lord has redeemed. I talked about this before in the past. The Lord has redeemed trials. For an unbeliever, their trials brings about hopelessness. Their trial for them brings about over and over hopelessness.
But for trials and believers, it brings about hope. It brings about hope. So the way Paul gets that in here, he tells us that likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Just like hope helps us in our weakness, now it introduces that now that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The word weakness deals with this, this limitation. Limitation. Sometimes it deals with illness. When somebody's ill, they're limited. A state of sickness sometimes. Timid, 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 being timid. Weakness deal with some type of lack of this courage. So Paul could offer us so many other things as believers, but he offers us as weak people the spirit. For us to be more like Jesus by having the spirit. God gives us spirit when we're weak. This makes sense. All throughout scripture, what I mentioned earlier about weakness is always recounted with this kind of, um, when you hear about weakness, God countered that with the Spirit. Prime example, I read John 14, 25 earlier. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father was sending in my name, he will teach you all the things brings to your remembrance, all that I have said to you. What's the context of that? Y'all remember when Jesus was about to be ready to go to be crucified? His disciples now, they've been with him three years. This guy's been with him tw three years, these 12 disciples. They have seen the woman, the issue with blood. She touched the garment, she was healed. They see the hungry folks, the 5,000. Jesus fed them. They need wine at the wedding. Jesus actually turned the water to wine. They have seen Jesus walk on water. I mean, they see all these things. So for them, they good. They don't have to worry. If they need food, Jesus brings about food. Somebody needs to be healed, Jesus heals them. What are they afraid of? Any enemies come, Jesus Turn the enemies away. They ain't scared. They good for these three years. But now Jesus said, hey, I'm going to go away now. So how do you think the disciples feel that Jesus said, I, I am about to go away? They said, no, you're not. You're going to stay here with us. You have been good all this time. You've been helping us. You're not going to go to your father. You're going to stay right here with me. And Jesus had to rebuke Peter. Because Peter said, you're not going anywhere. And Jesus like, if I don't go, you're sin, you're going to remain in your sins. But Jesus has to go. So what did Jesus do here in John 25? I give you the helper. The Holy Spirit is coming. The disciples are afraid. And what did Jesus give them? I'm going to give you the helper. Y'all looking like y'all don't believe me on this. Let me use another example. John 16, 7. 7. Jesus does the same thing. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. They don't want to believe. And they are scared because Jesus said, if I'm going to be persecuted, you're going to be persecuted. They're like, no, Jesus. Every time that we are persecuted, we're with you. You get us out of this. But now you're going to the Father right now. And Jesus said right here. We see this in Ezekiel 36, 28. 
Y'all remember when the Israelites, they were taken off to bondage in Babylon in captivity? This is the context of Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. These people are ready to go home back to Israel. They're in Babylon in captivity. They're ready to go home back to the land. And what does it say to this new coming? They're going to give a new spirit in you. I will move a heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. A weak, scared, desperate people, he offered them the spirit. Is that enough evidence now? Y'all agree with me? Y'all too quiet. Let me give you another example. Galatians 5. Listen to the context, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not in the law. But now the works of the flesh are evident. Listen to these weak things here. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, robbery, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and, the, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things would not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, listen to the response here by the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit... Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In such things there is no law. And though who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passion and desires. Verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So Paul here now, he responds the weak things of the flesh. He responds to the great things of the Spirit. So the Spirit is the one the Lord introduces us to when we're weak, all through our scriptures. I think we miss out. You know, a lot of the, somebody, you know, the, the, a lot of the charismatic in, in the movement, the only time the Spirit is mentioned, mentioned is when speaking in tongues or dancing around. That That is not what we see mostly here in scripture. We don't see that in the scripture. We see in scriptures, though, is that the spirit is introduced, but things are hard for us. But when the spirit is introduced, when the flesh is, is, is gravitating towards sin, the spirit is introduced, letting, letting us know you don't have to give in. You're in the spirit when you trust in the Lord. You can be dancing around and, and, and running around and, and speaking in tongues and not still have the spirit in you. But a true one that had a spirit in them, and their weakness, they're dependent on the Holy Spirit. So how do we know? So three things as we get ready in, I, I'll share with you all the song and sermon might be, might be I said earlier, but I forgot to the word might be. Three things right, we're going to see right now, the spirit, how the spirit helps us in our weakness. The first thing the spirit we see here, the spirit does, the spirit knows what to pray for. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Believers, the first thing you can bank on in weakness is that the Spirit know what to pray for in our lives when we don't know what to pray for. When it's so hard to pray and we don't know what to pray for, the Spirit prays for us. 
tells us that we do not know what to pray for. Let me stop and stop there for just a second. We don't know how to pray for the things we actually need to pray for because we don't know what to pray for. A lot of times our prayers are motivated by the right reasons. A lot of times we want to pray for the right reasons. But a lot of times our prayers are motivated by the wrong reasons. Even in our prayers motivated by the good reasons, we still cannot grab so deep in our hearts to search out what God sees in our hearts. Our prayers are so mighty and so great, but the spirit prayers is so deep and it's full of truth. Think about it. Our prayers have our flesh involved with it. A lot of times we pray because what we want to get out of this. Even prayer for a loved one, right? All of us in this room, we have loved ones that might have passed away. A lot of times we want our loved ones to live for another thousand, two thousand, three thousand years. We would never want our loved ones to live, leave, leave this place. A lot of it because we want them to ourselves. A lot of times it's motivated, not 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 anything wrong to be around and have an intimacy. But a lot of times it's not motivated that I want my loved one to have the best life to glorify God. And for God to take them, to honor him, for him to be glorified, I want God to be glorified. But a lot of times like, no, y'all want to be glorified, God? But hey, I want, I want this for myself. So a lot of times our prayers, we have good intentions. Great intentions, but a lot of times our prayers doesn't search out the heart the way the spirit does. The spirit knows us better than we know ourselves. In a catechism, do God know all things? Yes, nothing can be hidden from God. Hebrews 4.13 And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the, the eyes of him, whom we must give account. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. Psalm 33 The Lord looked down from heaven. He see all the creation of the children of man. God knew all things. We don't. We don't know everything about ourselves. And somebody said, you can't tell me about myself. You don't know me, but God does. God knows you better than you know yourself. Even when you think you know yourself, you don't know yourself. Because you don't know all things. You're not God. There's nothing that God does not know. So we must accept that God knows us in ways we don't know ourselves. This is what it means to be God, by knowing everything. This is a, this is a, a non-communicable attribute. God is the only one that knows all things. Not Alexa. We don't process this. So we don't, we don't know ourselves fully, but God does. So God can pray for us in ways we don't know how to pray for because we don't know everything. 
pray to you. I pray to you so, you know, uh, I want to get a new car. So I'm praying for a new car. But the Spirit goes in to pray for that to the Father. And the Spirit prays that, hey, Father, give them humility. Give them humility. They want a new car because somebody else got a new car. They want this because somebody else got this. So the Spirit had to pray for the things that our heart is not able to pray for. Our hearts are praying for things on the, on, on, on the surface level. And a lot of times you can be motivated by this certain thing. Let me get this. Let me do this. And the Spirit goes in, Father, give them this. And the child goes to the to a restaurant, and the child ordering all these things. And after the child order, they walk over the other way. And the parents say, "Hey, no, uh, change the order. Give them assistance." Because the parent knows what's best for that child. That child will have a stomachache if that child order all these things. So even though we pray to God, the Spirit goes so far, and the Spirit prays in ways that we would never know how to pray. That's the benefit of the believer. That God guarantee that he prays for us in the, in the right way. The exact way we need and the things we need to pray for. But also the good thing about this is that God's prayer is always better than ours. Our prayers are, again, a lot of time motivated by what we see or what we hear or what we touch, the senses. So a lot of time our senses misleads us in our prayers. But God prayers is not motivated by senses. God's prayers is motivated by his holiness. God's prayers is motivated for us to be looked like Jesus. So our prayers should be motivated by God's glory every, every moment. So what's the prayers? I want a husband or I want a wife. For what reason? To be like Jesus. I want children to be like Jesus and point me to Jesus. I want a new car to, to, to be like Jesus and serve others with my new car that God has blessed me. I, I want a new job to be more like Jesus, to, for God to use me, for me to serve and help others around me. And again, if Jesus is not the goal of why we get things in our prayers, our prayers are motivated by self. If anything we ask the Lord for, it should be motivated for God's glory. If it's motivated by 50-50, we get it wrong. Well, let me get God's glory, but let me get this. 100% should be God's glory. And when we see God glorified in it, we are able to enjoy it the way God had called us to enjoy it. Amen. You ever get that, that new car? God has blessed you with it. You pray and the Lord has blessed you with it. Now you're able to use it in a way to honor the Lord. And y'all ain't the only one got a new car. And Jesse got one too. And they able to use it for God's glory. That's when you see your prayers are now that are rooted in the glory of God. We able to see your prayers are answered and God is glorified. And those around you are encouraged and used by God. So again, we shouldn't use Jesus to fill the desires of the flesh. But we should rest in Jesus, knowing that Jesus, and the, by the Holy Spirit, is praying for us in a way we don't know how to pray. It's encouraging for the believer. When things get hard and we get weak, 
The Spirit is already at the Father praying for us. Isn't that good news? Yeah. The second thing here. The Spirit intercedes for us. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But it says right here, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. So, so now Paul encourages us that now that, 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 yeah, we know we struggle with the things of the flesh. In those times, our prayers might be motivated by the flesh. But the Spirit, at the end of the day, was still in the seeds for us. Paul uses this reflexive pronoun. Everybody say reflexive pronoun. The reflexive pronoun, again, is to draw emphasis of the work of the Spirit. Paul could have just said, but the Spirit in the seeds for us. Touch the word himself in the Bible. Touch the word himself. He puts the word himself in there. The spirit himself intercedes. He could have just said the spirit intercedes. But he put the word himself in there to draw his major emphasis of the spirit. That the spirit is doing something that the world has never seen before. Because we heard about what Christ has done. Normally in the past we hear Christ is the one that intercedes for us, right? But now we're introduced that the spirit intercedes for us. I just love the song we just sung um, by uh, Anthony Evans, one, um, wonderful, merciful Savior. I, I don't know if y'all noticed, it was singing the Trinity. And, and the first line was, it talks about, one talks about the Comforter, it talks about the Son, and I think it ends off with the, um, um, with the Father. And so um, we see the Son intercedes, but also we see the spirit intercedes as well. This word intercede represent making intercession, intercession, but also like a petition. It pleads for help. It's pleading for help. When somebody interceding, they are pleading for help. Jesus is pleading and begging the Father on our behalf at times. But now it's telling us the spirit is doing the same thing. John 14, 6, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you, with you forever. What is what Jesus is doing? Jesus is interceding. He's begging. He's asking, Father, Father, give them this. Normally, Jesus is considered the person of the Trinity that are interceding, but now the Spirit is considered interceding. It's petitioning before the Father. So us as believers, we get to triune God when the flesh is weak, the Son, the Spirit is begging the Father to help us when we are in need. Y'all don't see all this. I don't see it. This was happening in the spiritual world. As y'all are sitting down here and I'm standing up here, the Spirit is the one that's interceding. He's begging and begging the Father. You remember like a child. Mom, Dad, can I have a cookie? Can I have a cookie? Can I have an oatmeal pie? Can I have an oatmeal pie? Can I have... Can I have some macaroni? Can I have some Michaela macaroni? Can I have some? Can I have some? Over and over, just begging, over and over. The Spirit is doing that. The Spirit is begging the Father right now. And the Spirit would not leave the Father until the Father grant the Spirit his heart. And what is the Spirit's heart? It's the same thing of the Father. So right now that is happening, in the midst of your weakness, you don't know what the day might look, you don't know what the next week might look like. 
in the loved one's life right now, the people that you're praying for, the Spirit is praying right now. The Spirit is praying right now in ways you don't understand. He's begging the Father, 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 may your will be done. Father, Father, at this particular time, that God knows what we need because he knows all things. And also he gives the spirit. He's telling the father what we need. Father, they need this, Father. Father, they need this. So for those in here in this room that feel so needy right now and feel so helpless, Jesus, the spirit is begging the father. The spirit is begging the father. And the father doesn't turn the spirit away because the spirit is united with the father and the son. Last point. Point number three. The spirit and intercession is far beyond words. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. The last thing I want, to, I want us to grab here is from verse 6. It's the brevity of the petitioning of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit groans too deep for words. This same word groan was the same word that was described in the Exodus. Wonder. When the people couldn't have enough food, they complained. They was in the desert for a certain amount of time, they complained. Everything God gives them, they complain, they complain, complain. Instead of using the word complain, they groan. They kept groaning and groaning. Lord, why you do this? Lord, why you do this? Look, man, let's go back to Egypt. They was complaining and groaning to the Lord. But also the time of word groaning in the way of a woman that's in labor. She groans in pain and doing the labor that Paul describes. The pain and toll of the uncomfortableness deals with this groaning. Also, now we see in a similar way. The spirit is groaning in an uncomfortable way. Creston, that's not making sense. The spirit is groaning in an uncomfortable way. What I mean by this? The spirit is groaning to the Father about us. That he sees the uncomfortable nature of the struggles in the life of the Christian, and he takes them to the Father. Even the things that we don't know that we're weak in. He takes them to the Father. He's not comfortable until the Father see, until he sees the Father glorified in us. So what's the spirit groaning? He's groaning. He's crying out to the Father. He's uncomfortable until the Father gets in us the thing that the Father has designed for us to have. And to look like him. He takes these things to the Father. And he doesn't leave the Father. He continues going to the Father until we are like the Son. So the type of interceding that the Spirit is doing, he's groaning. He's groaning, he's groaning, he's groaning. Isaiah 53, 12. Talked about that one thing with Brother Todd. Yeah, he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgression. Who does that? Jesus. That's what Jesus does with interceding. Jesus take the punishment we deserve by interceding to the Father for him, for us. To take the shame so that we can take righteousness. But now the Spirit intercedes by begging the Father to give us the restoring grace that points our hearts to depend on the Father. The Spirit will not stop begging the Father until we are dependent on the Father. Do y'all hear that? The Spirit will not stop going to the Father until we are totally glorified and for us totally be dependent on the Father. So the Spirit is going to keep going to the Father. Father, 
Father, Father, do this. Father, Father, can you do this? Father, can you do this to make them more like me? Again, like I mentioned, about a child asking a parent for a toy. Can I have this? Wait. Can I have this? Wait. Can I have this? Wait. The spirit is not going to go anywhere. The spirit is going to continue being persistent with groanings to the Father. The spirit is persistent with letting his request known to the Father. Father, can you strengthen them? Father, can you point them to depend on you? Father, can you remind them of the hope that is in you? Father, can you help them not to give in to the fence? The Spirit is not stopping. The Spirit is praying for you when you don't know how to pray. He's persistent in the quest. And we're grown until you see the Father work in our lives. Paul even goes further and explains this in session again. That the groaning cannot be put into words. Words cannot describe the groaning and the persistent nature of the spirit towards the father. Y'all know like somebody winning a basketball game. Y'all probably haven't noticed too much because I think I win most of the games. But you know when somebody win a basketball game and they shoot the last shot and they scream out, yeah, yeah, they screaming out. They can't put into words or how they feel, and they just start screaming, yay, they're excited. The spirit can't even put into words of this groaning that he has for the Father for us to look like the Son, for us to be conformed to the Son. So the spirit can't put into words how much, how how. How much brevity it is, how the spirit is going to the Father. It can't put to words on what he's doing right now. So the spirit comes and helps us in our weakness. So let me end this last sub-point. That we should be encouraged that the spirit never stop praying for us. And we never stop taking the prayers to the Father. So if I could sum all this sermon up, I would say this. When hope is not enough for us to meditate on, the Spirit come to rescue us and bed the Father to help us in the midst of our struggles. And Paul is going to talk about the next couple weeks. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit in the seeds for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28. And we know that for, the, for those who love God, all things work together for the good. You keep going on to that. Why does all things work together for the good? Because look who's praying for us. The Spirit. And we can go to the Spirit. We can go to God. So we can pray. We can pray to the Lord. But when I feel like our prayers are not enough, the Spirit has already went for you and it makes it enough. Because the Spirit is praying for us in ways that we all understand. A couple of applications as we end here. May we be humbled knowing that God knows us better than we know ourselves. And he prays for us and those things he knows we need and that will be good for us. When we forget about that, we will never be condemned. Or that we are children of God. Or that we are led by the Spirit. We can remember that God has and will continue to go before us. Lastly, and we don't respond to this message that I just preached and slothfulness and last day, last, being last. Well, the Spirit 
gonna pray for me. I ain't gotta pray no more. The Spirit is gonna do it. I don't have to pray anymore. We're not putting everything on the Spirit, but we should be eagerly praying for to the Father's will. First of Thessalonians 5 15. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Giving thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. So what does it tell us to do? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. What does prayer show? It shows our dependence on God. For those that are dependent on God, the spirit is going to the Father for them. If you don't see yourself dependent on God and you're saying you're, and you don't want to pray, it's not showing you that the Spirit is working in your life. If the Spirit is truly working in your life, you're dependent on the Spirit and you pray. They work together. So our goal in life is to eventually pray like the Spirit. That's the goal in this life. To, to, to conform to Jesus, to have our hearts praying like the Spirit with groans and begging the Father. So may we join the Spirit and learn how to pray.